I had a long conversation with Sir Geoffrey Palmer in part one, where we discovered the history of 24 Fourth Street and its connections to the slave trade. Now in part two, the conversation moves to St Andrew's Square, where we find the 41 metre high Melville Monument, erected in honour of Henry Dundas, first Viscount Melville. He was Home Secretary at one point and was of some importance to the slave trade. And we hear about a legal case involving Joseph Knight and how Dundas was involved with that. So, what do we do with this knowledge then? How do we how do we make something of that today in the twenty first century? And and of course we also have the monument up in St Andrew's Square. Square. I'm, I'm coming to him which, in a minute. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I feel think, them looming down on us <laughs> from right. afar. And I think this is so important because. If we want to, and this is my view, and I think it's working, the, um, we wouldn't be standing here in 2007 speaking about this because it wouldn't be regarded as important. Or, or even scandalous. Or, or scandalous. Um, and it's because of the work um, a, a lot of us have done, not just myself, to bring this to the people. Before it was an almost academic exercise where you have professors in university setting the agenda, what I call a, an academic self-serving myth they created by talking about abolition, not mm. slavery, mm. or Scottish involvement. Yeah. And one of the most serious cases of this is the Joseph Knight story. And the Joseph Knight story is in just about every law book about slavery. And it happened in Edinburgh, not far from us. Who was he then? Who was Joseph Knight? Joseph Knight was a black boy stroke youth. He was brought back to Edinburgh by his owners, the Weatherburns, John Weatherburns, Sir John Weatherburn. Now, the present Weatherburns are, um, you know, um, are still around. Lord Dundee is a Weatherburn. Now, Sir John Weatherburn and his brother, James Weatherburn, went to Jamaica after Culloden in 1746. And those two boys stayed in Jamaica from 1746 to about 1770s, early, late 1760s. They, no, they, they loved it because they became one of the biggest slave owners, the, the, the two of them in Jamaica, in Westmoreland. They came back to Scotland, both of them, very wealthy, but their slave plantations were still in Jamaica. They came back, to, uh, 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 John Weatherburn came back and he brought this black boy with him. He took him to Perth, where the family home is, is it Ballandine. The boy runs away, okay, in about 1774. The boy runs away, or 1773. The boy runs away. Whether one wants the boy back. He goes to the JPs in Perth and the JP said the boys have got to go back. The boy has got to go back to him. He's not the, the, the boy then somehow takes the, his case to the Perth Sheriff's Court. Now, how he had the capacity to do that, I don't know. And he must this have is, had help. And this is critical because it then goes to the Sheriff Court, 
1774. The sheriff of Perth ruled that the boy, the laws of the slave laws of Jamaica don't apply here and let the boy go. Weatherburn, not happy with that, takes the court to the court of session in Edinburgh. 17, no, 1776 to 1778, that case is in the court of session. So John Weatherburn against a black boy, black youth. Okay, who are the judges in the court of session? They're probably white, are they? Well, the court of sessions are the, probably some of the most significant minds ever in Scottish law. Lord Keynes, Lord Arniston, Douglas Dundas's relatives, so that's how we're coming to Dundas. Dundas's relative, Lord Arniston, Lord Auchinleck, Boswell's father, James Boswell, Lord Gardenston. All those judges are the 12 judges. Who is the pleading for night? Henry Dundas, the Lord Advocate. And who is supporting Weatherburn, the Solicitor General, for a black boy who's run away? A wee boy who otherwise might but, not have but, mattered very much. Yeah, <laughs> but also John Weatherburn had a whole load of slaves in Jamaica, so he could have got any dozens of them over. But this case is therefore critical because academics, professors, mm, uh, legal minds, I've used this case to say, because the Court of Session released Knight in 1778, saying, agreeing with the Perth Sheriff, that the laws of Jamaica don't apply in Scotland. Now, what Dundas said, which nobody's ever reported, while he was defending Knight, he said, Knight was free in Scotland because the air in Scotland doesn't support slavery, just like the air in England. An English judge had said that before. But he also said, if Knight was in Jamaica, he'd be a slave. A different story. Therefore, to me, and it's one of the things I've said, which has now come complete contrast with the established view. The established view is that Scotland abolished slavery in 1778 with the release of Knight. I said the Knight case was a showcase. All these judges and they contrived and done that, contrived to support slavery in the Caribbean because it was in Britain's interest. It seems that it, that decision would go against their principles then if they were supporting slavery in the Caribbean. Well, th this is the point. Yeah, that the yeah. point is that it's the release of night, yes, <laughs> the release of night is taken in textbooks. Uh, Professor Kearns at Edinburgh University actually gave a three-hour lecture last year on the night case, saying that night um, is still with the same view that Scotland abolished slavery in 1778. It's a self-serving view. It's making an excuse while Scotland owned 30% of the slave plantation at that time. Mm. So did they think people just didn't really know that? Or well, of course they didn't. Yeah. And therefore, the whole case looks as if Scotland released Knight and that, in fact, slavery was about with one boy who was married, what I said, which upset some of the academics. Knight was living in Edinburgh. He'd run away. He had a white wife. 
which black slave in the Caribbean? You, were, you weren't a lower wife, black wife. Mm-hmm. Your children weren't yours. Yeah. So it's, it is very serious because this is the attitude that while Scotland was involved, the ordinary people would have responded differently had they known. The point is they were told, and still today, you talk to somebody up there, they'll say, but we abolished slavery. But they didn't, didn't really know. I suppose this is in the days before the internet then, isn't it? But and before it's still being, it was still done last year. We're still pushing the, the concept that Scotland abolished slavery by an academic. Mm-hmm. This deception, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It's, it's a falsehood. Mm-hmm. And therefore, Henry Dundas's role in that case and that was 1776. Mm. That's where he started mm. because he defended Knight, so called pleading for him, but it was reaffirming slavery in the Caribbean. And, and this is what he did later on yeah. because in 1792, which is now critical, this is 1776, yep. but he made the point, which was never reported, that black people are slaves in the Caribbean because British law said they were. In 1792, mm. when he uh, um, became a powerhouse in Pitt's government, mm. he, in fact, when Wilberforce put forward the, um, that the slave trade should be abolished in 1792, Dundas actually said it should be gradually abolished. One word. Mm even though in he the had bill. been involved in this case many years before. Well, he was mm. aware, mm. and this is now my argument with Michael Fry, the historian, mm. and this is what has stopped the plaque on Dundas's plaque. Thank you so much for listening to the Edinburgh Reporter podcast. Listen out for more episodes coming soon.